2002, Pine Springs Ranch, 400 young people met with a vision to share Jesus, to uphold the biblical values of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and to take the message to the world. That movement of youth has grown to today, where we have more than 5,000 people here, in our eighth convocation of GYC. My wife and I came on Wednesday evening, and we've been absorbing the inspiration of the moment. We've been encouraged, inspired. Whatever we contribute to you as young people, you contribute more to us. You know, after you've been on the evangelistic platform, preaching in almost 100 countries around the world for 43 years, it's nice to get an injection of inspiration from mission from young people. So thank you for what you've contributed to us. My first GYC convention was in 2004 in Sacramento. And since that time, I have been a great supporter of and believer in the mission, the goals of GYC. I believe that GYC will continue to grow, that God will continue to bless it, and along with the youth that are here, as you go back to your local churches, that other youth are going to catch that vision. And today I pray that you would be one of God's 21st century superstars. That's my message this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we've been called to be lights in a darkened world. We thank you that we've been called to do more than maintain the status quo. We thank you that we've been called as part of a final generation to proclaim your last day message to the world. May a love for Jesus and a love for truth and a love for human beings for whom Christ died burn in our hearts. May we reveal that love, share that love, and proclaim that love. In Christ's name, amen. The world has its stars. You know their names. They're plastered in headlines across the globe. They light up the marquees from Hollywood to Hong Kong. You've seen their images on television, in the movies, in newspapers, in magazines, on billboards, throughout the internet. The world has its stars rock stars, pop stars, movie stars, sports stars, business gurus, corporate heads, political leaders, Wall Street billionaires. The world has its stars, the rich and the famous. But God has his superstars. And that's my topic this morning. Take your Bible, please, and turn to Daniel, the 12th chapter and the third verse how to be a superstar for God in the final generation. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Those who are wise, those who are what? Those who are wise. There is a world's wisdom that is foolishness and an apparent foolishness in Jesus that's wisdom. The Bible says, those who are wise, shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The Hollywood stars, the pop stars, the music stars, the sports stars, the business stars of this world blaze like a meteor across the sky for a little while, and then they burn out. They twinkle for a little while, then they fade into insignificance. There's always a prettier face, a better voice, someone who runs faster, jumps higher, has more outstanding appeal, knows how to cut a better deal. But God's stars, like meteors, don't blaze and go out. They shine forever and ever and ever and ever. God's superstars. 
turn many to righteousness and shine forever. This morning we want to study one of God's heroes, one of God's superstars. I want to spend some time with you looking at and meditating on the book of Daniel and raising the question, how does Daniel's life apply to a last generation of Seventh-day Adventist Christians who've been entrusted with a message to take to the world. Now, there are four specific things that we want to focus on in Daniel's life as we turn to Daniel, the first chapter. And if you have your Bible, and this is GYC, so I know you do. If you have your Bible, would you just lift it so I can see it, please? GYC young people know that when they come to a biblical message, that it is far more than religious entertainment. They come to study God's Word. They come to hear a message not from a preacher, but from a thus saith the Lord. They come to hear the Word of God speaking to their hearts and challenging their souls. They come not to be placated by pious platitudes. They come rather to be challenged, to be stimulated, to be inspired, to be everything they can for God. Daniel, four qualities of Daniel's life, four qualities of superstars for God. Let me mention them, then we'll unpack them in the text. 21st century superstars for God will know how to thrive in adversity. They do not expect a comfortable, crossless, easygoing, accommodating life. They recognize that the challenges of the future will bring adversity. God's superstars are trained in the school of adversity, and they know where to place their trust. God's superstars will study in the book of Daniel, understand their identity, and they know who they are. God's superstars maintain their integrity, and they know what they believe. And God's superstars leave a legacy. They know why they exist. And so this morning we'll discover from the book of Daniel how to thrive in adversity. We'll discover how to understand our identity and the importance of identity. We'll understand how to maintain our integrity in the most difficult, challenging situations where we're called to compromise. And we'll understand how to leave a legacy, be part of a mission for God. We'll understand the where, the who, the what, the why of superstars. Daniel, the first chapter, first verse. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Here in Daniel 1.1, you have the great controversy theme introduced, unpacked through the book of Daniel. Jerusalem, the city of righteousness. Babylon, the city of rebellion. Daniel, God's man. Nebuchadnezzar, one who stands opposed to God. Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar come in conflict. Jerusalem and Babylon come in conflict. Two kingdoms come in conflict. The great controversy between good and evil, the great controversy between Christ and Satan, the controversy that will require superstars to stand for God in the end is introduced in Daniel 1, verse 1. Verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God. Incidentally, Jeremiah tells us in Ezra, that when Jehoiakim took those articles from the house of God, when he took the golden vessels from the sanctuary, that he took 5,400 of them from the sanctuary. And who was this Jehoiakim? Jehoiakim was a compromising king of Judah. When Jeremiah came to Jehoiakim and he told him about Babylon's attack and he predicted Babylon's attack on Jerusalem, Jehoiakim, the compromising king of Judah that wanted to please everybody took the prophecy of Jeremiah that was written out and given to him about Babylon attacking Jerusalem. He ripped it up because he didn't like the prophecy. And as he ripped it up, he threw it on the flames of fire. He tore the scroll to pieces. He cast it into the fire. Jehoiakim discovered all too quickly that re to reject the counsel of God is a recipe for disaster. 
to turn one's back on the prophetic word, to make light of prophetic appeals, to scorn the warnings of the Almighty, is a formula for catastrophe. When the prophets of God speak the word, I pray that we will listen to the word and heed the lesson of Jehoiakim. When God's modern-day messenger speaks to the church through the gift of prophecy, I pray that we will not scorn those messages, not turn our backs on those messages, but listen to the word of God. Jehoiakim took the prophecy of Jeremiah about the destruction of Jerusalem, and he tore it up. He threw it in the fire. But soon the armies of Nebuchadnezzar attacked, and Jehoiakim saw firsthand the result of rejecting the prophecies of God's word. In our personal lives, God calls us to faithfulness to the Word of God. In our personal lives, God calls us to faithfulness to the messages of God's last day prophet to this church. They are given to build up the church, to edify the church. Jehoiakim did not learn that lesson. But back to Daniel. There's a curious passage in Daniel 1 verse 2. And it says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Why would God do that? Why would God allow Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the citadel of rebellion, why would God allow Nebuchadnezzar to have victory over Jerusalem? It seems that evil triumphs. It seems that wickedness wins. Why would that happen? Why would God allow that to take place? The Bible says the Lord gave, verse 2, Jehoiakim into King Nebuchadnezzar's hand. The Lord allowed the king of Babylon to defeat the king of Jerusalem. Why would God permit evil to apparently triumph? Why would God allow Jerusalem to be destroyed by a wicked heathen king? Why would God allow a godly teenager, Daniel, to go into captivity? Why? Because God knew that he could build his superstars in adversity and they would impact the kingdom of Babylon as they trusted him in that adversity and changed the course in history of the world. Now let's pause for in the story of Daniel for a moment and think of what Daniel thought when he was taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and when he was traveling through the desert as he looked at his last lingering glance of Jerusalem in the distance. Daniel, a teenager, probably 17 years old, other Israeli teenagers, young people. He would never see his father again, never see his mother again, never play with his friends on the Judean and Galilean hillsides again, never walk the streets of Jerusalem again. Daniel's future lay before him, but it was totally unknown. Daniel had no idea what to expect in Babylon. His entire life was changed, transformed in an instant. Circumstances over which he had absolutely no control thrust him into uncertainty. Maybe you can identify with Daniel. Your future's uncertain. You're going through a period of adversity in your life. You're facing at home overwhelming obstacles. You will leave GYC without a sense of clarity and certainty possibly of what God wants you to do or where he wants you to be. You're experiencing some challenge in your life as a young person that seems to have apparently no human solutions. Here is the good news. God's superstars thrive in adversity because the God they serve is bigger than the problems they face. 
Daniel was not focused on his problems. He was focused on the God that could solve them. His mind was not absorbed with the difficulties around him. It was absorbed with the God above him. His heart was not trembling in fear. It was radiating in faith. And a few years later, as a young captive in, De in Babylon, Daniel describes, Daniel chapter 2, please take your Bible and turn to Daniel 2 verse 20. Daniel describes why he could thrive in adversity. Daniel describes the key of thriving when things are falling apart around you. Daniel describes the key of thriving when the mountains are high and the winds are strong and the troubles blow and the challenges are great and the problems are immense. Daniel says in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 20. Daniel 2 verse 20. The Bible says, Daniel says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. What does Daniel say? Wisdom and might are God's. And he changes the times and the seasons. What I lack, he has. Wisdom and might are his. You may be ignorant, but he is wise. You may be powerless, but he is all-powerful. Get your eyes off the adversity. Get your eyes off the problems. Get your eyes off the difficulties. Adversity is the stuff that heroes are made out of. Problems and challenges are the very building blocks for success. If we are going to face crisis in the future, and we are, if we are going to face adversity in the future, and we are. If we're going to face challenges in the future, and we are. God is going to train us in the school of trial today so that we understand how to trust tomorrow. There's a, an amazing book that's been written. It was, it's, a, it's an older book now. The book is almost 50 years old. It was written in 1962. The book's title is Cradles of Eminence. And it's a study by two physicians, Victor and Mildred Goertzel, about 413 famous people that impacted the world in the last 2,000 years. So it's a study of, of people that were world changers, people that made a difference. And these two physicians, the Dr. Goertzels, Mildred and Victor, wanted to discover what is it that makes a great person great? In other words, what is the environment that superstars grow in? What conditions assist in producing extraordinary people? The two researchers spent years trying to understand the source of people's greatness. They searched for one common thread that would run through all of these great people's experience. What was the common thread that ran through these outstanding people's lives. The one factor that stood out about, above all the rest is this. The single ingredient in 392 of the 413 people that they studied was this. They all, without exception, had overcome obstacles and adversities in their lives. Their problems became opportunities for success rather than hindrances to success. Trials, obstacles, challenges, and adversity are the building blocks that God's heroes are made of. Never give up. You're going through some trial? It's not because God is casting you off. He's preparing you for greatness. You're going through some difficulty? It's not because God has forsaken you. He's training you for leadership. God's superstars know where to put their trust so they thrive in adversity. I love the way Ellen White puts it in Ministry of, he of Healing, page 471, in which she says, trials and obstacles are God's appointed agencies for success. Oh, you're going through a trial? You're going through an obstacle. You're going through a challenge. You're going through adversity. God sees something in you, and he wants to train you for leadership. Praise his name for that. Put your trust in him. He'll help you to solve that difficulty and problem so you can take on bigger difficulties and problems as a leader. 
God's superstars don't cop out. God's superstars don't look for an easy life. God's superstars don't want comfortable convenience. God's superstars, with their hand of faith in Jesus Christ, are willing to take on adversity because they know that God is bigger than any problem they may face. Now, the second principle we see in the book of Daniel, one, is that God's 21st century superstars understand their identity. They understand not only where to put their trust, but they understand who they are. When Daniel was ushered into the Babylonian kingdom, King Nebuchadnezzar did everything he could to distort and destroy Daniel's sense of identity. Now, our identity has to do with our understanding of who we are. Our sense of identity or belonging influences everything we do. It inspires our dreams. It gives direction to all that we hope to be. The devil understands this profound truth. And let's discover what the devil attempted to do to Daniel and his friends. They were ushered in to the greatest kingdom of the world. Babylon's splendor and luxury awed their senses and wowed them. Before their education began, as they were introduced as young, handsome, intelligent, articulate young people to the PhD program in the University of Babylon, the king wanted to do something that would cause them to forget their identity, that would cause them to forget who they were. And so the scripture says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 6 and onward, now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now Hebrew names have significance. The name Daniel, if you see E-L on the end of a name, that means it's a derivative of God. So the name Daniel means God is my judge or the God of judgment. The Hebrew judges were not like some judges today. The Hebrew judges were on the side of the one that was prosecuted, and their role was to, to set all things right. So Daniel, the book of Daniel is the book of judgment, the book about the God who sits upon his throne to set all things right in the universe. So Daniel may have been a captive to Babylon, but the God he served ultimately was the God that was on the throne, not Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel's very name said, he is the God that'll set all things right. Then there was Hananiah. The word Hananiah means the Lord's gracious unto me. And so every time little Hanny ran around in his, uh, in his uh, diapers or his pampers, uh, you know, as a young Israeli boy, and his mama said, what's your name? Hanny, Hanny, Hanny. It's Hananiah. The Lord's gracious unto me. I may be captive in Babylon, but the Lord's gracious unto me. And then there's Mishael. That means one with godlike qualities of goodness and kindness. And then there's Azariah. That means the Lord's my helper. And so I may be a captive in Babylon. The mighty empires of Babylon may be dominant, but I am Azariah. The Lord is my helper. He'll never let me down. Now that wouldn't do in Babylon, running around saying, I'm Azariah, the Lord's my helper. That wouldn't do in Babylon, saying, I'm Hananiah, the Lord's gracious unto me. It wouldn't do in Babylon. Mich my name's uh, uh, Michel. Uh, I'm godlike qualities. That's what I want to admire. The wouldn't do in Babylon. My name's Daniel. God sits on his throne. So the king, the Bible says, verse 7, to them the chief of the eunuchs gave you names. To Daniel the name of Belteshazzar. The word Belteshazzar means the keeper of the hid treasures of Bel. Bel Marduk was the chief of 13 gods of Babylon. Daniel now was no longer Daniel, God's on my throne, but now I've changed your name. I want to change your identity from Belteshazzar. Hananiah to Shadrach, as clear as we can tell, Shadrach means the um, servant of the god of Sheba, from the Lord's gracious unto me. Hananiah to Shadrach, servant of the god of Sheba. 
from Mishael to Meshach. Meshach means inspiration of the sun, from one wanting the qualities of Jehovah God to inspiration of the sun, from Azariah to Abednego. Abednego means servant of Nebo, servant of Nebo. So Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change their names. He wanted to lose them to lose sight of the fact that they were a holy people before God, a righteous people before God. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 tells you the, the heritage of these Hebrews. Take your Bible, please, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. Chapter 7, verse 6. Here is the heritage of these Hebrews. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Daniel, you're a holy person to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, and, and with their Hebrew names, Daniel and Hananiah, Daniel and Mishael, Daniel and Azariah, were young men that knew their heritage. They understood their identity. They realized that God raised up Israel to make an impact on the world, and they were going to be faithful to their heritage. Babylon wanted to change their identity. Babylon wanted to water down their understanding of who they were. And I say to a last generation of Seventh-day Adventist young people, never lose your heritage, never forget your identity. We are Seventh-day Adventists, not some other denomination that simply has happened on the historical scene by chance. God has raised up this people a prophecy based on the prophecies of Revelation, chapter 12, chapter 14. We are a people of destiny. While we appreciate Christians of every denomination, we sense that we have a heritage. We are not some community fellowship of Sabbath keepers. Do you hear me? We are Seventh-day Adventists. We don't believe that arrogantly. We don't lord it over others. But humbly we believe that God has raised up in this generation a divine movement of destiny to impact the world with the gospel. We believe that we are a holy people chosen by God for a final generation to proclaim the gospel. The reason Seventh-day Adventist young people, some of them, are leaving the Seventh-day Adventist church is not because the church preaches too much prophecy. It is because they've lost sense of our prophetic significance. Young people want to challenge. Young people want to be something, to be part of something big for God, something grand for God. Young people want to have a sense that they're identified not with a bureaucratic institution, but a movement. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is not simply a denomination. It is that, but it is a movement of God based on prophecy. Babylon wants to infiltrate. Babylon wants to, to undermine fundamental biblical doctrines so we lose our identity. And once you lose your identity, what do you have to preach? God's superstars thrive in adversity. God's superstars understand their identity. You can change Daniel's name, but you can't change his nature. You can change Daniel's country, but you can't change his character. You can change Daniel's home, but you can't change his heart. You can change Daniel's surrounding, but you can't change his spirit. You can change Daniel's master and give him Nebuchadnezzar rather than Jehoiakim, but you can't change his mind. God is looking for a group of Seventh-day Adventist youth who deep within their souls are committed to Jesus. Deep within their souls, they're committed to his word. Deep within their souls, they understand their identity. They sense, as Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. A group of Adventist young people who understand their destiny, who understand their identity. We look there at 1 Peter, the second chapter. The New Testament church grew rapidly because there was a sense that based on the prophetic word of the Old Testament, that God raised up a body of believers that would impact the world. That's what enabled young people to become part of the New Testament church. They had a sense of identity. They identified with a movement in New Testament Christianity that was bigger than they were. First Peter, and we look there at chapter 2, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation. Now here's Peter speaking to young people in his day, challenging them. He says, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. His own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Jesus raised up New Testament Christianity based on the prophetic word of the Old Testament to share the light and truth of God with the world. Jesus is raised up based on the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, a last day end time movement with a mission that is far larger than we could possibly accomplish, but empowered by his spirit to take the gospel to the world. This is the generation that God is calling to understand their identity, to understand who they are and why they exist. There can be no higher calling. There can be no greater task. During Hitler's Third Reich, millions of Jews were taken. And these Jews that were taken were loaded on trains. They were jammed in boxcars, and not only Jews, but many others, but predominantly. And as they were loaded on these boxcars, they were jammed together. Some suffocated to death in those boxcars where the conditions were so barbaric and inhumane. A Jewish prince from a royal family and his son were captured. They were in hiding. The Gestapo found them. And this little boy, 11 years old, was jammed into one of the boxcars with his father. The boy almost died, and he almost was trampled to death as hundreds of people were herded into all these boxcars on the train. As the train rolled on all night, people were suffocated in that train boxcar and some fell over dead. But father knelt down and he kept holding his boy and holding his boy and holding his boy. In the morning, when they got to Ravensbrook, that dreaded concentration camp, and father looked up and saw those words over that iron gate wrought out in iron metal, arbeit macht free, work makes you free. They were to be divided into three groups. The elderly and the sick would be killed in the gas chambers immediately. The young would be taken to another gas chamber and killed immediately. And those that had some measure of health would be forced to work. The guards tore from that father his young son, that young prince. And with tears running down dad's face, he looked in the eyes of his son, and he said, son, never forget that you're a prince. Never forget that you have royal blood running through your veins. Never forget who you are. And to a generation of Seventh-day Adventist young people, I say to you today, you've got royal blood running through your veins. 
It is no accident that God has called you to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Of the millions of young people in the world, God has called you. You are a person of destiny. You are one that of all the billions of youth in the world, God has chosen. You are not here today by accident. Those of you watching on Three Angels Broadcasting, you're not watching by accident. God's calling you to something big, something great for him. Those of you watching over the internet, you're not watching by accident. God has raised up an end time movement, and he invites you to become part of that movement to proclaim his love and his grace to the world. God's superstars thrive in adversity. They know where to place their trust. God's superstars maintain their identity. They never lose sense of who they are in Christ, never lose sense of why they're here in Christ. Thirdly, Daniel 1, verse 8, we come to the heart of the chapter. Daniel 1, verse 8. Not only God's superstars thrive in adversity, not only do God's superstars cling to their identity. God's superstars maintain their integrity. The Bible says, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, God's 21st century superstars act with integrity. They have a sense of unswerving loyalty to God in their lives. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, but, God, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The Bible says Daniel did what in his heart? What did Daniel do? Daniel did what? Purposed in his heart. What's another word for purposed? What is that? Decided. Daniel decided, Daniel determined, Daniel declared, Daniel decided in his heart that he would not defile himself. Another word for the heart is in the mind. The wine flowed and sparkled in the glasses. Everything to tempt the taste and delight the eyes. Every article of sumptuous food that one could imagine was upon those tables. Everything was done to wow their senses. Everything was done to stimulate their senses. Everything was done to attract their taste buds. Everything was done to win their allegiance. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel decided in his mind that feast was a feast that night in Babylon in honor to the Babylonian gods in an honor of their victory over Jerusalem. To eat that meat would have been to honor those Babylonian gods. To drink that wine and eat that meat would have been to defile mind and conscience and since physical, mental, and spiritual natures of human beings are intertwined, Daniel knew that to defile his mind with that wine, even one glass socially, would be, would be to put himself in a position of compromise, therefore he purposed in his heart. Daniel would not yield his conscientious convictions. Daniel purposed, Daniel determined, Daniel decided. Dur Daniel was not concerned about his reputation, he was concerned about his character. Daniel was not concerned about royalty, he was more concerned about loyalty. Daniel was not concerned about pleasing the king. He was concerned about pleasing the king of kings. Dwight L. Moody once said, if I take care of my character, my reputation is going to take care of itself. What led Daniel to make such a significant decision? Daniel knew he had royal blood running in his veins, so he didn't need to put royal dainties in his mouth. Daniel knew that he had a mission from a ruler of the universe, therefore he did not need a commission from the ruler of Babylon. Daniel had bowed low before the king of kings in the prayer room so he could stand tall before the king of Babylon in the throne room. Daniel knew that he had the approval of heaven, so he was willing, if necessary, to be reproved 
by the king of Babylon. Ellen White makes an interesting comment, Prophets and Kings, page 482. But Daniel did not hesitate. The approval of God was dearer to him than the favor of the most powerful earthly potentate, dearer than life itself. He determined to stand firm in his integrity, let the result be what it may. What was important to Daniel? What was that that was important to Daniel? What was it? The approval of God. Have you made a decision in your life where you have said, the approval of God is the most important thing in my life? When a decision comes between doing what you want to do that may not be in harmony with God's will and doing what you ought to do, what decision do you make? You see, conversion comes at the point of a test. Deeper conversions come at the point of a test. When you do God's will, when it's already in harmony with your own will, that is no test. But when you make a decision to do God's will, when God's will runs contrary to your will, that's a test. Now Daniel recognized this vital truth, that if he compromised in this one point, he would continue to compromise. Ellen White points this out clearly, continuing to read on page 482 in Prophets and Kings. And it says this, Prophets and Kings, God's richest blessings do not come to those who compromise their integrity. Can you say that together with me this morning? God's richest blessings do not come to those that compromise their integrity. Again, God's richest blessings do not come to those that compromise their integrity. How many of you want God's richest blessings today? How many of you are going to do your will rather than God's? I knew some people weren't thinking. That's why, you know, you always got to throw in a trick question. God's richest blessings come from those that do not do what? Compromise their what? Integrity. How many want God's richest blessings again? How many want to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Even if it crosses my own will. God wants to bless you abundantly. Now look, I continue the reading, Prophets and Kings 4.8.2. This is a powerful statement. Should Daniel and his companions, should they compromise with wrong in this instance by yielding to the pressure of circumstances, their departure from principle would weaken their sense of right and their abhorrence from wrong. See, it's not that the thing you do in compromise is always so grossly evil. It is not the thing you do necessarily, but it's the process that the mind goes through in doing it. Are you with me? To make a decision that is contrary to the will of God when in my heart I know and I'm convicted by the Spirit and convicted by the Word, it's wrong. It's not always that the thing I do is so wrong, but it is the process that comes, that leads me to do it, which is compromise, and one compromise leads to what? The next, and the next, and the next, and soon I'm doing things that I never imagined that I would ever do. God is looking for a generation of youth that will maintain their integrity and be loyal to God at any cost in his word, like Daniel who purposed in his heart to serve God. Daniel would not compromise his integrity by breaking God's law under any circumstances in his life. God's superstars know how to thrive in adversity. God's superstars understand the significance of who they are in Christ and who they are as a final end time movement. They maintain their identity. They don't compromise their identity. They're unashamed of that identity. They sense God's raised up a last day movement. God's superstars live lives of loyal integrity. Now there is one last thing 
about God's superstars, Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. They know where to place their trust. God's bigger than their problems. They sense the importance of identity, maintaining who they are. They recognize the significance of compromise. They thrive in adversity. They cling to identity. They maintain their integrity, but there's last thing about them. They leave a legacy. God's superstars leave a legacy. Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. Daniel chapter 1, verse 9. Now God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs because Daniel was loyal to God. Daniel could make an impact on the whole Babylonian empire. He left a legacy. Daniel chapter 1, verse 20. Daniel chapter 1, verse 20. The Bible says, you come to the end of Daniel 1, and it all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. Daniel was elevated to the head of the class in Babylon. He impressed and, and, and influenced the professors in the University of Babylon. When you thrive in adversity, when you understand your identity, when you purpose in your heart to serve God and you maintain your integrity, God blesses what you do and you become an impact on scores of people around you. You leave a legacy. You leave footprints in the sand of time and life for Jesus Christ every place you go. Daniel left a legacy. He was elevated to the highest position eventually next to the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar trusted Daniel. He sensed Daniel was a man of integrity. God honors his superstars. In my imagination, I see three men. They are walking down streets of gold. They're in a land called glory. They're in a place called eternity. And I see Daniel, and he's arm in arm with the man on his right, and that's Nebuchadnezzar. Because in Daniel chapter 4, you have the only chapter in the book of Daniel not written by Daniel. It is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony of coming to a knowledge of the true God through Daniel. And then I see another man, Cyrus. And Daniel influenced him for the kingdom. Daniel left a legacy. Daniel was a difference maker. Daniel was a world changer. And young people today who thrive in adversity, who are not overwhelmed by the little problems of life, young people today who know their identity as Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventist Christians, young people today who purpose in their heart will leave a legacy. They will be difference makers. They will be world changers for Jesus if Jesus does not come. When life is over, when you lay in the grave, who's going to stand around reciting all your wonderful accomplishments? Are they going to stand in awe over your titles? Or are they going to share what a spiritual blessing to them you were and a godly life you lived? Are they going to share how compassionate you were, how you listened to their problems, how you encouraged them with a Bible promise, how you helped them carry their burdens, how you prayed for them, how you shared Jesus and his truth with them? Will they list your degrees, your awards, the number of committees you were on, the amount of money you had? Never! They will share the blessing you have been to them. Will you leave behind a newspaper column of accomplishments telling people how important and great you were? Or will you leave behind a grateful legacy of people that have been led to Jesus Christ because of the legacy you led? You see, there is nothing wrong with titles. Titles are good things to have. But if it ever comes down to the choice between a title and a testimony, take the testimony every day. Nebuchadnezzar may have had the title, but Daniel had the 
testimony. Pharaoh may have had the title, but Moses had the testimony. The king of Egypt may have had the title, but Joseph had the testimony. Queen Jezebel may have had the title, but Elijah had the testimony. Herod may have had the title, but John the Baptist had the testimony. King Agrippa may have had the title, but Paul had the testimony. Herod may have had the title, but Peter had the testimony. Pilate may have had the title, but on that cross with nails through his hands and a crown of thorns upon his head, Jesus had the testimony. God's superstars have something to live for, to share God's truth with others. God's superstars leave a legacy. They have a task to fulfill. They have a work to finish. One all-consuming passion fills the mind of God's superstars today. They are not interested in their titles. They are not interested in their accomplishments. They are not interested primarily in their bank accounts. They have no self-inflated importance. God's superstars want to leave a legacy for Jesus Christ. They want during this time that they're on earth to impact other lives from the kingdom. One all-absorbing thought influences everything they do. One all-embracing purpose fills their life to share Jesus Christ and his love with others. Your influence can make a difference. You can leave a legacy for the kingdom today. Would you like to say, Lord, I am not going to give up in adversity. Whatever the devil throws at me, I know where to place my trust. God is bigger than my problems. Today, would you like to say, Lord, I sense that I am part of a movement that is far greater, far bigger than I am. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. I never want to do anything that would betray the trust that God has given to me as a Seventh-day Adventist young person. I cannot turn my back on the Christ that's called me to his last day movement. There's nothing grander, nothing bigger, nothing greater. Lord, when it comes to a decision between my will and yours, I want a purpose in my heart to serve you. And Lord, the goal of my life, the goal of my life, is to leave a legacy, to touch somebody's life for Jesus, to influence somebody for the kingdom of God. Everything earthly will be consumed in the flames of the presence of God when he comes. Houses gone, cars gone, titles and degrees gone. But one thing will last forever. When you share Jesus with somebody, when you share his truth with somebody, when your heart is filled with a passion to touch somebody for Jesus, that is going to last forever. So they that are wise shall shine as the brightness of what? The firmament and as the stars forever and ever and ever. Do you want to commit your life today to something big? Do you want to commit your life today to something grand? Do you want to say, Jesus, just now I'm going to stand to my feet and I'm going to say, Lord, I want to be part of a generation of young people and adults called by God for this special last day movement to touch Jesus for his kingdom. Christ knows your heart. Christ understands your mind. You may be going through some adversity, but Jesus is preparing you to be a superstar for him. Purpose in your heart to serve God. As Daniel did that, God blessed him. God blessed him. And heaven's blessings were poured out Daniel left a legacy for all eternity. This morning, I want to make a very specific appeal. First to the leadership of GYC. 
Justin, Israel, the team, the board, I'm going to invite you to come as a symbol of commitment to the message of Christ, the message of the Adventist Church, that it's your great desire to keep GYC loyal, faithful to Christ. If you're a board member of GYC, you can come. If you're a leader of GYC, you can come. We're going to pray that this GYC movement will grow with young people around the world who sense their identity, who will thrive in adversity, who will never compromise their integrity. And we want to commit ourselves as church leaders that we will not betray our young people. Those of you that stand, that are leaders within the Adventist Church, I want to talk to your hearts. We've got a great responsibility, a great responsibility. A responsibility to take God's last day message to the world. And a responsibility to model godly, leadership for these youth, a responsibility to join hands with them and to be part of the closing work together, together. Now before I pray for this group, there is somebody here today that's going through adversity in your life. And that problem has been about ready to overwhelm you. And you've been about ready to give up. But this morning you see that the problem that you've been going through in the adversity is God's way of training you. That he's training you to be a leader. And you want me to pray for you. Just now come quickly and I'm going to pray for you. Somebody that says, look, I've been going through some adversity. It's tough. But I'm not giving up. God's training me for leadership. God's training me for leadership. Thousands are standing, committing to be part of God's last day message. GYC leaders and church leaders are together. But there's somebody going through adversity, somebody going through difficulty, somebody going through problems. God's bigger than that problem. God's greater than that adversity. You're saying, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. Now we're going to pray. Before I pray, there is somebody here that you've not been baptized yet. Or you were baptized and you drifted away. The door of the church is wide open. Come on in. Come on in. Come be part of something big for God. Come be part of something great for God. If you have not yet been baptized into the Seventh-day Adventist Church, or you were baptized and you drifted away and you need to come back in total recommitment, would you just raise your hand where you are and I want to pray for you. God bless 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 you. Hey, just come out into the aisles. I'm going to pray for you. Just come out in. Those of you raising your hands for baptism, come on down to the front. You can't get to the front, but that's okay. Just join this group. You, you, you're saying, I drifted away. I got to come back. I wasn't baptized yet. I need to make that decision. God bless you. God's got a special plan for you. Look at these young people coming, drifted away. They're coming back to be baptized. Praise God. Praise God. Somebody sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Can we sing that? Let's sing it together. Then I'm going to pray. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Help the preacher now. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. If you need, haven't made a decision to be baptized, you come. If you drifted away, you come. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We're going to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for a group of leaders at GYC 
that have a clear vision of Scripture, of mission, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We pray for them. They will have temptations either to take this movement to the right or to the left. The devil is not pleased with what's going on. And I pray that you would keep them faithful to you, faithful to your word, and faithful to your mission, your movement, and your church. Many of us, a few hundred of us, pastors, workers, church leaders, stand with them at this altar. We stand with support. We stand to encourage them. We stand to work by their sides. Lord, may we never betray the trust that these young people have put in us. Burn within our hearts a deeper commitment. Now, Father, some young people are going through adversity. I don't know what that's all about don't know what's happening in their lives, but, Lord, you're bigger than the problem, greater than the difficulty. Lord, you're building in them to be superstars for God. Lord, help them never, never give up. Many came to be baptized. Thank you, Lord. They're going to be part of your movement. Some drifted away. They're coming back. Thank you for these commitments. And, Jesus, today we have one desire that's to serve you now and forever to see you come in glory and be ready to go home with you. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you all. And may the rest of this Sabbath be one of a divine anointing of his spirit. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.